and then God take my words and speak through them. Take our hearts and open them to the word that you wish us to hear this day. Amen. Well, you know what? The midweek lectionary really is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I'm sure it's where, when they compiled that they put all the passages that no one ever really wanted to preach on in the hope that they never have to. And today's is no exception. Did the rest of you get that sinking feeling when I read verse 31? He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, let them be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, maybe it was just me because I had to talk about it. And I will admit to finding this passage quite uncomfortable because in this section, Jesus is specifically talking um, about the leadership of the church. That's what Matthew is asking us to think about in his earliest Christian community. Jesus had just not long before been talking about the destruction of the temple and that had probably already happened when Matthew's readers were hearing this gospel for the first time. And he had also been talking apocalyptically about the end times and the final judgment, another thing that actually we find quite hard to talk about. The first Christians, all those years ago, expected this end times to be really soon, very imminent, in fact. But the reality was that by the time the Gospels were being compiled, they were already starting to wonder exactly when this was going to happen. They thought Jesus was coming back on the return bus, I think. And Paul's very earliest letters to the Thessalonians, we heard part of one today, were written in that time, actually. They were already, by about AD 50, starting to think, hmm, maybe we have to wait a little bit longer. Because the Thessalonians had really grasped the idea that the end was near, and that the church, what they were facing, they were having some real problems facing up to the reality that Jesus wasn't coming back anytime soon. The promised kingdom that Christ had begun still seemed full of pain, full of persecution, and members of that congregation were starting to die without having seen the return of Christ. They were starting to get disillusioned. Paul is writing to a discouraged church, encouraging them to understand their faith differently and in the face of trouble to pull together for the love and good of the entire community. Just before the gospel passage today, Matthew records Jesus as saying, no one knows when these things will happen. And then he uses the parable of the thief in the night to teach his disciples about how they should live in the meantime. Be ready, he says. And then he goes on to illustrate what can happen if the followers get complacent whilst waiting. Well, we've got almost 2,000 years on Matthew and the Thessalonian community, and that certainly colours the way we tend to read all the apocalyptic stuff that we find in the Gospels. We read the warnings perhaps a bit differently. So how can we understand this teaching, this teaching to be ready, in the context of our ordinary and everyday lives today? Well, I've been thinking a bit about that this week. I've had the privilege of being involved with all three major rites of passage in people's lives this week. I've baptised a young child, I've blessed a newly married couple, and I have arranged funerals. 
Now, all of those things happen quite often in this line of work. But actually, it's not all that often you have all three in one week. And in my own family life, my extended family, we have welcomed into the world a new life earlier than we had planned, but he arrived safely nonetheless. Thank God for Jack. But we've also said goodbye to someone in our extended family much later than actually we had thought it was going to happen. And so I feel that I've had a whole gambit of life spread out before me this week. And what it reminds me of is the unpredictability and uncertainty of life. Try as we might, make all our plans and all our schemes, none of us know what or when anything is going to happen. Be ready, says Jesus. Well, that seems like wise advice indeed. As I was putting funerals together, there's a prayer I always use, and it really sprung to my mind about these passages. It goes like this. Support us, O Lord, all the day long of this troublous life. Until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. And then, Lord, in your mercy, grant us a safe lodging, a holy rest, and peace at the last. That certainly speaks of that sense of finality of death. But that particular line, our work is done, is what attracted me in the light of our readings today. Think back to the psalm. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us. Prosper for us the work of our hands. The work of our hands. And then think about the comparison between the faithful and the wicked slaves. Jesus says in verse 46, Blessed is that slave whom the master will find at work when he arrives. In the face of not knowing the future, this is how Jesus' followers are to live out our days. So what is that work? Is it a nine-to-five, a hoovering, cleaning? How shall we live? Now you might think that I would go off here in the words of the Great Commission. Go, says Jesus later on in Matthew. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And see it as a call for the spreading of the good news and the gift of evangelism. But I'm not going to go there. We can do that as well. Don't think we're not going to. But that's not where this particular gospel took my brain today. Look again at that reading. The faithful and the wise slave is put in a position of trust and a position of authority. And he is asked to oversee the care and welfare of his fellow slaves. Specifically, Jesus refers to giving them the allowance of food at the proper time. And by contrast, a wicked slave thinks he can treat them appallingly because no one can see it and call him to account. Jesus' teaching to love one another as I have loved you really speaks into this, I think. Just look again at Paul's letters to the Thessalonians when he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, just as we abound in love for you. 
So this week, I read all these readings as a call to review how I live and how I treat other people. A call to look at my relationships and the interactions I have with those that I meet. This, after all, is the work of our lives. So often when I'm sitting with a family preparing a funeral, and I listen to them talk about the life of their loved one, there is often a certain amount of factual material. They were born, they lived, they did this, they did that. There's quite a lot about their achievements and their nine-to-five work, or whatever hours they put in. But the memories really come alive when they look back at the relationship that they have. That's where the joy is, and often it is where the hurt and the regret is as well. Because how we are with people really, really matters. And it is always worth thinking whether we'd be happy if Jesus walked into a room and saw how we were being with people at any given moment. In the very next chapter of Matthew, Jesus continues this apocalyptic teaching and he says, Truly I tell you, when you gave food, drink, welcome, clothing and care to the very least of my people, you did it to me. That is quite something and actually that concept takes my breath away almost every time I come across it. How we are with people matters. Jesus' eyes looking back at us. They are, too, a beloved child of God. And Jesus taught us how to love, to really love. There is so often a dearth of that in the world around us, isn't there? But we are a people of Christ. We are called to love one another. And that is our work. Whether we are face-to-face with someone we know well, face-to-face with a stranger in the street, or maybe it's just as we think about how we do our shopping, or how we treat people on the end of the phone. Whatever we do, we are called to love. That does not mean that it's all sweetness and light, that there won't be problems. It doesn't mean that we get along with everybody. And we will never get right, because we are human. But when we fail, we can try again and again and again, because the work is in the trying. It is my hope, my sincere and very deep hope, that our Maker finds us working hard when we get to meet them face to face.